Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 164. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we're going to talk about some trauma medical stuff, um, both on the what kind of supplies do you need on hand to fix it and stabilize somebody um, to get them to a higher order of care, and then also some places you can seek training um, in how to do you know, battlefield medicine, trauma medicine, Absolutely. Um, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, guys, you know, there's a couple things going on in the world right now. Um, uh, you know, the, the bad guys live everywhere. So we're seeing, you know, like mass casualty kind of events. The I think law enforcement defines like a mass casualty event as like four or more people, something like that injured or three or more people. Um, if, if you're the person that's there rendering aid and there are then there's more than one person hurt. Um, if there's more than zero people hurt, you might have your hands full, depending on how bad it is. If there's more than one person hurt, you're definitely going to be underwater a lot of times unless you've got professional experience doing this. And even then, um, the, the suck will be great. Um, as we, as we, as we pre-planned this podcast and we're kind of lining up our outline for what we want to talk about, we're sitting here looking at the news and looking at all the medical supplies going to Ukraine. And we are feeling that right now. A lot of medical supplies going to Europe. I'm sure all the countries around Ukraine and in Europe right now are probably, if not the countries, the individuals, military groups, police agencies, aid agencies, hospitals, etc., are all thinking, um, you know, is this crazy Russian chess player going to invade us next and thinking about what they need to bulk up on. Um, I, I don't think Putin's going to make it across the Atlantic or the Pacific, depending on which way he comes. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in Alaska, you're pretty close. Uh, but anyway, you know, I don't think that's coming anytime soon, but there's a reality check about where we sit from a low intensity conflict, um, with gas prices north of $4 a gallon, crimes yeah. going crazy and everything else. Um, you know, and we, we talk a lot about tools to induce trauma, but not tools to reduce trauma as much as we probably should. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about today about the kind of the major things you need to be concerned with. Like Brian said, basically covering what the medic guys refer to as like the golden hour, um, that 60 minutes between when the trauma occurs and when you can get to higher care. Uh, most of us here in Ohio live within a golden hour transit, um, whether that's life flight or in a vehicle to get to a level one or a higher care trauma center. Understanding that it doesn't need to be a level one to fix you, but man, it's nice that Columbus has 38 of them because we had 200 some homicides last year. They're pretty convenient. <laughs> um, they weren't for those people, but for the rest of us. You know, I wonder how many yeah. attempted, how many people got shot last year that didn't actually die because. <laughs> We'd be well over a thousand <clears throat> yeah, if Grant was yeah, around. <laughs> exactly. If Grant or OSU or, you know, yeah. all those places. So, um, so bearing some of those things in mind, uh, we're going to just kind of do an overview. This is not training. This is an admonishment to go seek training, um, to go get gear. Um, and, and then go learn how to use the gear or go to a class where they supply you with some gear and then learn how to use that gear. Um, so I, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, the other thing I'll tell you is even, even if you don't know how to use all the gear, it, it's, it's kind of intuitive if you see somebody with a hole in them and blood coming out of it to jam something in it and try and stop that bleeding. Learning what it looks like to apply pressure or the right tools um, is something that you definitely want to do in a classroom, classroom environment, especially if there's a practical aspect to it. But it, having the gear with you, there may be somebody standing behind you who's done it before or who knows how to use that gear. Um, and that's also going to bring into play some of the more eso so a couple of the esoteric items we'll talk about in a little bit that are kind of controversial. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk again the why of having some of that gear because it, it's better to have it and not need it than the other way around. Um, don't use it if you don't know how to kind of thing. And that's part of the conversation too. So um, number one battlefield killer and then also number one trauma killer is mass hemorrhage or exsanguination, uh, yeah. mass loss of blood. Especially when we start talking about 
Do things like industrial accidents. Yep. Um, farm auto accidents, accidents, farm accidents. accidents. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. And then and then gunshot wounds as well. And and well, and, and not to be crude, but knife wounds, uh, especially knife, wounds. knife yeah. wounds are wicked for that. Um, so you start talking about mass hemorrhage or massive blood loss. Um, you know, we want to do things to stop blood loss, staunch blood loss. Um, you can, you, if you can get ahead of blood loss, you have a good chance of being able to survive whatever damage has been done otherwise uh, in, in probably 90% of cases to make up a number because, you know, 88% of statistics are made up on the spot. Yeah. So, um, you know, so we're talking about things like tourniquets would be a, a number one thing to have out there in your kit, um, it, but tied with pressure dressings. And then right behind that, I'd like to see a lot of gauze, especially some hemostatic gauze. Yep. Um, you know, so there, there's some of the companies out there. Uh, one of them, Dark Angel Medical, I, I hope we can use their name and, and their idea. But they talk about, you know, um, tourniquet the extremities, plug the holes and, and what is it with the box, you know, and, and then seal pressure, the seal the box and then put pressure on the junctions and stuff like that. They've got a really cool, and they're one of the places, Dark Angel Medical is one of the places we definitely recommend for training. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but they have this really cool little, uh, graphic that's literally a card and it's like, Hey, put a tourniquet here. Hey, if the injury's here, plug it with gauze. Hey, if the injury's here, put a chest seal on it. Um, the very, very fundamentals of this stuff. So with mass hemorrhage, tourniquets, pressure dressings, and hemostatic gauzes, and then also just regular old gauze to back up some of that stuff too, so you can put more pressure on a wound. And then um, the pressure dressings are nice because you can wrap up and keep pressure on the wound. Uh, and then from there, you know, something stupid like duct tape or something stupid like a seatbelt that you cut out of a car to use to wrap around somebody to hold something in place, or a shirt, or their jeans, or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, but anything you can do to, to stop arterial bleeding is going to be a good thing. If it's on a limb, you're placing it at the next joint up, um, you know, just below the next joint with a tourniquet. And then if it's, if it needs gauze stuffed in it, gauze is great. Pressure dressings are great. Hemostatics are even better if it's squirting arterial bleeding. If you can see the pulse in the timing of the bleed, um, probably a good place for tourniquets and or hemostats, um, hemostatic agents, pardon me, not hemostats. Different, yep. different beast. Uh, going to the body, going to the, the trunk, the torso, um, then you're going there. Same thing if you've got serious bleeding, plug that hole with whatever you've got available. Um, if it's a hemostatic agent, that's great too. Um, and, and that's what those things are for. You might not be able to use a tourniquet on somebody's chest unless you put yeah. it just below their jawline. Talking you know, stuff in the, the trunk of the torso, yep. um, that's where your chest seals come in. Yep. You know, one, <clears> on the, one on the entrance wound, one on the exit wound, if yep. there's an exit wound. Um, we're not generally putting gauze or hemostatic stuff in there. Um, we want to keep it wet. Um, if you have internal organs and things that are damaged in there, you need a surgeon. Yeah, absolutely. Quickly. Um, and I'm, I apologize. I should have been specific about that because I was thinking more like lower thorax where you're talking like guts and stuff like that. Um, if you've got arterial bleeding from somebody's thorax somewhere where it's squirting blood out versus Even just a hole. Um, then you want to kind of make sure that blood's staying in one way or the other. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks for the correction because that's 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 a significant point there. Um, so you know, dealing with hemorrhage, dealing with mass hemorrhage, the tools are pretty simple. It doesn't take a whole lot of stuff to deal, you know, with that. But they can be relatively difficult to improvise as effectively as the tool that you'd purchase that's sealed, relatively clean, and or sterile and ready to go. Um, next thing's airways. We jump to airways. Sure. Um, airways, nasal pharyngeal airways and stuff like that, probably not something you're super likely to use. Um, there, there's, there was some controversy about using airways, especially considering, you know, there was the, the, there was like kind of like a wives tale about somebody poking somebody in the brain with a, with a nasal pharyngeal airway. 
Um, if you've ever picked up a nasal pharyngeal airway and felt like how the, the tube itself, the rubber is very soft, it's very flexible. The idea being that you can kind of work it into, you know, a, a blocked airway. Um, if you've got somebody who's having trouble breathing because they've got some type of facial disformation due to trauma, um, you know, if you can get an airway in them, great. Um, especially if they're, if it, if it seems like they're struggling to breathe or whatever, by all means do that. Um, learning how to apply an airway, usually if you're training on it, you're going to be training on somebody who's healthy if they'll let you do it to them, or you're going to be training on yourself if you can not vomit doing it. Um, it is not a pleasant experience, but it's way better than suffocating. Um, but finding somebody who's all smashed up who'll let you do it, you know, unfortunately it's a pretty rare yeah. thing. So, but having that airway, again, even if you don't know how to apply it, somebody else may know how to apply it. A lot of med kits come with it. If not, they're fairly inexpensive. It's a, it's a $10 item, you know, so by all means, pick up one to put in your med kit. Um, but blocked airway is, is one of those big battlefield killers. Um, the next one's kind of controversial, tension, tension pneumothorax. Um, tension pneumothorax is simply a collapsed lung. Um, if you get uh, a penetrating trauma to the upper chest or upper thorax, to the chest or upper thorax, uh, you can have a situation where the lungs will, you get air in the pleural space between the rib cage and the lungs, and the lung will collapse. That is a tension pneumothorax. And um, unfortunately, what that does um, is it causes the other lung to work harder and expand more, and it puts pressure on the heart, on the aorta, on the superior and inferior vena cava, and all that vasculature around the heart, and can actually make it so that the heart doesn't work um, anywhere near as effectively, or maybe not at all at some point. So tension pneumothorax is something you want to deal with, and Brian is right on the money. Seal it up. You want to put, if there's an entrance wound, cover it up with a chest seal. Um, if not, if you don't have a chest seal, they used to, back in World War II, um, it was, it was put a, your cigarette cellophane wrapper from your cigarette yeah. pack over it and tape it up. Um, you know, and if you can vent it, vent it, that's fine. Um, you know, and it could be some of the packaging on some of the med gear previously, you had cellophane or plastic type packaging over a four inch pressure dressing, take the, you know, take the pressure dressing out of the package and use the package as a vent, improvise, adapt and overcome, do what you got to do. But man, if you got a high fin chest seal, it makes life easy. If you got an Asherman chest seal, if you got something like a bowling, whatever, even if you're going old school, um, you know, slap the, clean it off as best you can, you know, wipe, wipe the blood off as best you can and slap that bad boy on there. Um, entrance and exit. Uh, hopefully the exit's not too gnarly to get it over because that can be a thing too. If the exit is too gnarly to get it over, find something big that's relatively airtight and get, you know, duct tape, yeah. I don't care, whatever, pressure uh, with your hands, whatever you got to do. Um, and then the other thing we, we, we carry in shop and this is, this is where we get controversial, um, decomp needles. Um, uh, there's a couple different names for them. We carry like 10 gauge decomp needles. Um, there's a lot to know about when to use a decomp needle. There's a lot to know about how far are you from higher care? Uh, there's a lot to know about, is it actually the right solution? Um, some of people worry about, you know, oh, you're going to put a needle in and kill somebody. Well, you're probably not going to, if you put a needle in somebody's right eyeball trying to stop attention pneumothorax, you did it wrong, then yes, you could kill them. Um, a frontal lobotomy is not a treatment for attention pneumothorax. Um, and I'd rather have a bottle in front of me anyway. So, yeah. um, I, I'm not going to tell you not to have a decomp needle or not to know how to use a decomp needle, but understand that if you're in central Ohio and you're close enough to, it's just highly unusual that you're going to need to use it. Having said that, if you're out hiking somewhere and maybe you know that it's going to be an hour or two before somebody can get to you, um, you know, and you've got the cavalry on the way, um, maybe it's time to consider that. Also consider the liability with it. A lot of the applications to the external portions of the body 
um, fall under like good Sam laws where you're somewhat protected. As soon as you start jabbing something into somebody, um, the rules change quickly and dramatically. So if you're going to utilize it, um, make sure that it's the right tool at the right time and there weren't any other options. And then beyond that, uh, maybe have a good attorney ready. The last thing I would say is that for me, I'm not going to needle D somebody unless it's like my kid and I know it's the right thing to do or my spouse or a really, 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 really good friend. And I've been trained on what the application actually is, when to do it, how to do it. Get that training and then live by it and make sure you don't screw up. So um, anything else to add to attention pneumothorax? Yeah, it's one of those things that if you if you don't solve it, they're going to die. Yeah. Um, you have a limited time window with it. Yep. You know, so a lot of it, you know, if you can, you know, in central Ohio, we've got Grant, Riverside. Yep. Um, you know, some other places. Yeah. That, you know, easy to, relatively easy to get to within an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you're someplace, you know, you're back in the woods. Yeah. You're, you're out, out hunting. hunting. Yeah, fishing, something um, like that, you know, away from yeah, immediate access. You know, and now it's going to take two hours to get somebody to a road. Yeah. Or to someplace you can land a helicopter. Yeah. Yep, then it may be applicable. And that's why we're back to, you know, saying I'd rather have it with me and not need it. Somebody there may know how to need it. Um, I had a good friend of mine I used to train with, and we were going through Medgear stuff. And I didn't know a whole lot about Medgear because all my training was from the 90s with self-aid and buddy care stuff from the Air Force, which was basically jam your T-shirt in the hole um, and pick the dude up and carry him somewhere. And then, and then hope that the chow all hadn't closed yet because you might have missed out on steak dinner night. Um, so the reality check for that is, you know, it, it – it, it, and basically, I pulled a tension pneumothorax. I pulled a decomp needle out of a bag and said, I don't even know what the hell this is, and kind of tossed it to the side. And the guy looked at me kind of funny and said, I do, and I know when and how to use it. Put it back in your damn bag because I may want to use it on you. Um, and I think that was more out of anger than anything else. No, just kidding. Um, but good piece of advice. Better to have it. Somebody else may know how to use yeah. it. Um, so the last thing we'll throw out there, and it's especially applicable as we do this podcast, and it's snowing in Ohio in March, um, uh, hypothermia. Uh, hypothermia is a really big deal in northern climates, especially if you get someplace where it gets cold. Um, when you start losing blood, body temperatures drop quickly. Body temperatures dropping quickly uh, causes other parts of the body to go into significant distress. Um, and, and so if somebody is not really with it because of hypothermia and blood loss combined, the combination of the two things can create a little bit of shutdown mentally um, as well as physically. So, you know, we want to fight that as well and having something just as, you know, as easy as a foil thermal blanket or wrapping somebody in the blanket that you tell your kids to keep in the back of their car kind of deal. Um, and, and getting, uh, if you can get a layer between them and the ground as well, especially in Ohio over the winter, um, that, you know, the ground will suck a ton of energy, a ton of heat energy out of you. Um, you know, so having something to fight hypothermia and keep the heat in, Again, especially when there's blood loss, um, is a is a pretty big deal. And just keeping that person comfortable, it goes a long way toward keeping them calm if they're more comfortable as well. Yeah. And something like the foil or mylar blankets are they're cheap and they're easy to have around. They're small; yeah. they don't take they up any space. Weigh almost nothing. Yeah, they weigh almost nothing. Super easy to have around, and they're also multi-use things. We're back to that. You could cut up part of that, and use it as a chest seal if you had some tape. Um, you can use it as a signaling device uh, in a survival kit. You can use it as a as a as a temporary shelter, you know, in a bad situation or whatever. Um, so you know, take a look at those things. They're they're not super expensive. Um, pushing past the idea of you know what the tools are and stuff like that, um, definitely go out there and seek out training. Um, you know, there's there are a couple different places in Central Ohio that offer some of this training. 
Uh, one of them, uh, Jack Crowley at J. Crow Consulting, um, at, at TDI down in Southern Ohio, um, Tactical Response down in Tennessee, uh, Dark Angel Medical travels all over everywhere and does training. Uh, the guys up Alliance PD, if they have somebody doing med training, you know, chase them down. Um, all those places are accessible. You know, you can chase them down via the internet. Again, uh, fairly locally, J. Crow Consulting here in Central Ohio, TDI in Southern Ohio, Alliance PD in Northern Ohio. Dark Angel Medical, you say, comes to Cleveland. Yeah, they're year. usually in Cleveland once or twice every year. Does like 419 host them or who, who hosts I don't, them? I don't okay, know who I didn't know somebody hosts them specifically. Um, and then Tactical Response down in Tennessee, uh, you know, those guys do some, some pretty serious med workups and stuff like that. Um, I will say if you're going to go to the Tactical Response class, start doing your PT beforehand because they're going to work your ass yeah, in the ground for a week. They, they do. So Tactical Response does a two day classroom thing that's pretty, pretty chill. Okay. Uh, if you do the high-risk civilian contractor medical package, uh, you better be ready for it. Yeah, because they're going to run you hard. <laughs> yeah, and that clay down there, nasty. <laughs> so, yeah, Brian still pulls out pieces of gear occasionally that has red clay fall out of them from that class, and it's been, what, almost a decade? So. Uh, not quite. <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, um, there, there's lots of places you can go seek this kind of training. Um, the other thing I'll throw out there is a plug for just basic uh, stop the bleed training uh, and CPR AED training as well. They're ridiculously simple things to go get. Um, you know, achieve that training. Uh, maybe go to your employer if your employer doesn't offer them. Um, ask your employer if they'll get a hold of the Red Cross and offer to the employees there. Um, you know, it, it, the CPR and AED stuff can be where there's trauma-induced and you need to be able to do CPR, or it could just be somebody who's having a heart attack or something like that that's, you know, no trauma involved. Um, and same thing with the stop the bleed stuff. You know, we go back to just violence, violence in the workplace, violence in the world. Knowing how to do the basic stop the bleed stuff uh, is a quick class and easy to do. So chase that down. American Red Cross offers it. A number of different places offer it. So go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, the world's getting a little bit crazy. If you're if you're going to know how to induce trauma, you should learn how to try and reduce trauma to the best of your ability. You should practice it. Um, a lot of the stuff you're going to learn in the class is going to be stuff likely that's new to you from a standpoint of working with props and stuff like that. If the instructor's doing a good job, they're going to have moulage kits and make it kind of messy and a little bit stressful. Um, take that a little bit further and go somewhere to where you can train with the firearm, transition from the firearm to saving somebody, to saving someone's life, to doing med, med stuff on yourself under stress, add in things like injured shooter um, you know, where maybe you're down to one hand trying to apply an tourniquet, uh, try and learn how to do all this stuff with one hand or in a low light environment or in the cold or whatever, um, add some levels of difficulty to it so that when it's real and it's on somebody else and it's 80 degrees and sunny, it might actually be easy. Yeah. Yeah. So get out there and train guys. Yeah. Um, on that note, as we come across, you know, training opportunities and things, oftentimes we get them posted to our social media. You can follow us along on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, search for us on Facebook at Cap City Outfitters. On Instagram, we're Cap City Outfitters too. Uh, on our website, CapCityOutfitters.com, you can sign up for an email newsletter that comes out once a week on Fridays and find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at SilencerShop.com. And then come see us in the store. We're here Tuesday through Saturday, uh, 10 to 5. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's, and we're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. Thanks for tuning in, guys.